Hello, and welcome to the Green Book Commentaries. I'm Dr. Arthur Plessa. Episode 24, Debunking Medical Gadgets. With the onset of the 20th century, electricity was beginning to power the world of man. In the field of healthcare, numerous gadgets were invented that were supposed to electronically diagnose disease and by other means electronically treat disease. In this episode, we're going to discuss two medical gadgets that mystified both doctor and patient, claimed incredible results, yet was found lacking any real value, following BJ's investigation. The first gadget was referred to as the ERA, or Electronic Reactions of Abrams. Inventor Albert Abrams was an American physician, born in 1863 and died in 1924. He is credited for inventing machines that could diagnose and cure almost any disease. Investigations into his inventions proved to reveal no real value to a patient's diagnosis and cure. His contraptions were shown to be false or intentionally deceptive. In other words, Dr. Abrams was a snake oil salesman, tricking people with the mysterious wonders of electricity. Abrams also developed a therapy inspired by chiropractic and osteopathy called spondylotherapy, where electric currents were applied to the spinous processes. Dr. Alva Gregory, MD, published Abrams Spondylotherapy in 1914, the same Alva Gregory that partnered with D.D. Palmer to form a chiropractic school in Oklahoma. What I find interesting about Abrams and his gadgets is that they quickly attracted people since it's a machine shrouded in mystery yet claimed could diagnose any condition and then tell the chiropractor which segment to adjust. Why is this so interesting? Well, open up any chiropractic magazine publication, such as we had with today's chiropractic, and notice all the gadgets and devices. Now, go back a few years, and you'll notice that very few gadgets have lasting value like the snake oil salesman of yesteryears. Here today, gone tomorrow. From the latest, greatest e-stem to specially formulated supplements, most are here today and gone tomorrow. But why? Any service or product is of value to mankind if it withstands the test of time. The second debunking was with a manufacturer of a radionic machine. Remember Abrams from the first debunking experiment? Well, this guy was truly an entrepreneur. A whole bunch of electronic snake oil, ready to be consumed by a culture whose lives were becoming more and more electrified. This second machine had a glass bulb attached to an electrical box plugged into a power source. 
It was supposed to work using electromagnetic therapy by rubbing the bulb over the abdomen of the patient. It was then supposed to treat the patient of whatever disease they had. BJ brought his team to, authent to authenticate this machine as either of value or just another gadget hoax. This team included Dasa Evans, the inventor of the neurocolometer. Well, needless to say, Dr. Evans debunked this radionics machine in one day. It turned out that BJ's team discovered what would take the rest of the healthcare world years, that Dr. Abrams and his inventions were of no value in getting sick people well. BJ's critics were sharp against him, claiming that he only cared about the neurokilometer because it served his financial interest, while shunning other instruments because they didn't have his name on them. True, the neurokilometer could only be leased from the Palmer School, and it did serve BJ's financial interests. However, it was the only instrument of its time. Tested thoroughly in the 1920s, it was found of significant value in detecting the presence and location of a subluxation. A patient could be checked, adjusted, and rechecked to confirm the subluxation was reduced. When BJ and his team tested, tested something new, it was for the purpose of helping the chiropractor in better detecting for the presence of subluxation and its position, as our profession has with the spinograph and neurokilometer. Anything other than this is of no value to the chiropractor. We begin our reading now in volume 25, page 209. Discovery is not proof. A principal constant was conceived by D.D. Palmer in 1895 on a quantity flowing energy proposition. Would that conception prove true or untrue? Life is motion. There is no motion without energy to move matter. Health is a rate of activity. If rate of speed of motion is normal, health. If slowed down, sickness and disease. To reduce quantity flow of energy is to produce dis-ease. Vertebral subluxation shorts energy flow. Vertebral adjustment restores it and restores health. It is important we study and know quantity energy flow. At first, we began to research into what later proved to be the byproducts of energy at work, sounds, both normally, such as heartbeat, breathing, etc., and abnormally, such as rails, gas rumblings, palpitations, asthmatic, etc. Later, we took up question of vibration of structure when energy made it work the products of function. This was a trifle closer to our coveted objective. All methods we used and various instruments in use worked upon either of the above two approaches. Weaving all through the pattern was a missing link. We were not satisfied. We were so near, yet so far. 
Then came the desire to get into the study of the producer direct generation of mental impulse supply in brain. Transmission of that mental impulse supply between brain and body. Transmission of result of that flow between brain and body known as impression of sense between body and brain. And then responsive reaction in mind, in brain, to its interpretation when it arrived, etc. Now we were getting somewhere. Our steps in research energy. Long ago, investigated electronic reactions of Abrams under its various manufactured and sold forms. The principle that there is a quantity, electric potential, in living bodies. That each organ has a quantity, electric potential, of its own. That the total body has a quantity, electric potential, of its own. That these quantity, electric potentials of each organ vary in sickness and health. That total human bodies have a common denominator, quantity, electric potential, in health and sickness. That when below par, potential was brought up to par, potential would change sickness to health. Was correct in principle. But it was a delusion, fraud, impossible to make work in practice by studying. Vibrations of blood removed from source of its normal quantity energy supply. Instruments manufactured were not correctly electrically manufactured to prove or disprove either. That you cannot supply externally and artificially below par to par or above par to par. What must come naturally from internal. D.D. Palmer's concept in principle practically rested on the same fundamental working principle advocated by Abrams, as stated above. Restated, it is. There is a totality, unital quantity mental impulse potential, completely and naturally, internally generated in every living composite body. Each living organ has its own quantity mental impulse potential completely and naturally, internally generated for it in the brain, and from there transmitted to body. These composite organic and unital quantity mental impulse potentials, which are completely and fully internally generated, are sufficient unto its needs in health, sickness, restoration to health. When these organic and totality unital functions are working below par quantity potentials, they can be and are restored from where par is in the body to where it is below par in that body and health is reestablished. D.D. Palmer's concept in practice approached the problem differently. We knew mental impulse par was in the body. We knew that all dis-ease was but an exhibition of mental impulse reduction from par to somewhere below par. We knew cause of reduction in mental impulse par to below par was in the body. We knew cure of dis-ease, which was below par, 
tupar was in the body. We located interfering medium, adjusted it, and permitted what was in one body of the body, one part of the body, at par, to flow to another part, which was below par, that needed it. Thus, we did not try to externally or artificially give to or inject into body something it already had. In connection with the investigation of the ERA, Electronic Reactions of Abrams, we ran into something, we ran into interesting human sidelights. There lived in Davenport, a physician whose wife had cancer of stomach. Father saved her with adjustments. This physician studied chiropractic, never used it, but continued to practice medicine in Davenport. He considered his affiliation with the medical profession as of more value than getting sick people well. There came a day when this MD began practicing ERA. One by one, individually at first, our students, being curious, began going to his office to witness the practice. They returned mystified, and because it was mysterious, and they could not understand how results were obtained, and because they could not explain how it was done, they told other students. In time, flocks of students went down each night to be analyzed, to know where their subluxations were, where they should be adjusted, etc., for this MD not only diagnosed their diseases, but also analyzed where to give adjustments for those diseases. Then came a time when the student body was all agog over it. Various sincere ones told us we should investigate, as it did things we couldn't do with chiropractic alone. They preferred to believe his results with his methods to ours with our methods. Student body morale in the PSC was being shattered and strained. Confidence was being destroyed. Perhaps we should now tell what he did and how he did it. He had a small revolving platform upon which the completely nude body of patient stood. On top of this platform was a copper plate to which was soldered a copper wire which was grounded to a nearby water pipe. There must be no metal of any kind on patient, such as rings, hairpins, etc. Nor must operator have any such. All tests were made in an almost dark room. Ruby lamp accepted. No smoking permitted, or noise such as talking. Observers could be present if quiet. He had patients stand on platform facing north. He had three fingers of one hand together, touching each other. These he ran up and down and over bare abdomen of patient. He listened carefully for a certain live sound when he tapped on another finger of another hand on, certain, on center of three fingers on abdomen. Getting no live sound facing north, he would turn patient facing east. He would now get his live sound as a certain spot, at a certain spot. Abdomen being topographically laid out, certain spots for certain organs, he would diagnose that individual was suffering with liver trouble, 
as an example, and tell him he should be adjusted at fourth dorsal, which was merically our chiropractic liver place. His live or dead sounds on abdomen told him where to adjust in vertebral column. Our students thought this was marvelous, accurate, wonderful. We at the PSC were being eclipsed. Various students told us we should investigate, adopt, use it, as it was far more positive than our method of those days, which was to ask patients questions, secure symptomatology, and from this determine he had liver trouble, as an example, and then decide he should be adjusted at liver place. Peculiarly, this MD and his method seldom agreed with the PSC and our method. This difference in analysis mystified our students. Because morale was being badly shot, we phoned the doctor and asked if he could send three if we could send three of our faculty to study his method. He gladly consented. We, we sent doctors Firth, Vetter, and Burek, all three being versed in our methods and sincere in their desire to do justice, regardless. They went down night after night and came back as mystified as were students, saying, we believe he has something, but we don't know what it is or how it is done. The fact that our faculty were investigating and they were mystified strengthened confidence of our students in this doctor's method. Finally, we decided to go. We went several nights, each night coming home as mystified as were others. We decided to buy the same outfit from Abrams. We experimented night after night and could not attain same conclusions he did, no matter how rigidly we excluded all extraneous variables, as he claimed to do and use. We returned again, night after night, to watch his technique most carefully, getting up close to work of his hands. A couple of nights more, and we saw his trick, by means of which he secured the dead or live lines. In spreading fingers on abdomen, he could produce a deadline anywhere he wanted. By putting them securely together, he could produce a live line anywhere he wanted, regardless of whether patient was facing north or east. We called his hand. He frankly admitted we were right, but still said we were wrong, that that wasn't the way it worked. He proved we were wrong by keeping his three fingers together and still producing live or dead lines at various areas. We again watched more carefully and caught his second trick. Finger, which, finger with which he tapped center finger of the three fingers of hand on abdomen had an aluminum thimble tip of which was filled with hot wax, after which he inserted his finger, before it cooled, to give a solid tapping end to thimble. His second trick depended upon whether he tapped with the tip end of, of thimble or broad flat surface of ball of that finger. When caught with this trick, he also admitted that, 
also. Having no more tricks, he had nothing more to mystify any of us. Having now learned the technique, as proficiently as he used it, we returned home, woke up the three boys, called them down to the house, and there we violated all the known rules of variables, had lights on, smoked, made noise, stood off platform, did not go around, did not ground anything anywhere, and we demonstrated how we too could produce dead or live lines anywhere we pleased. We asked the boys to blindfold themselves, stick out a pencil, put it on abdomen anywhere they accidentally touched, and then there we produced both dead and live lines simultaneously at will. The jig was up. We called student body together in class assembly. We pulled down all curtains, demanded silence. In fact, reproduced this doctor's conditions and demonstrated his technique. All admitted we had reproduced exactly all things he did as he did them. We then reversed process, threw up curtains, asked them to smoke, put metals on bodies, asked them to talk, and still produced dead and live lines at any place they designated. We then explained how they were produced. After this expose, students left the room believing the first demonstration was correct, and the second to be sleight of hand, leaguer domain performance. They still believed, many of them, that he was right and we were wrong. All this convinced us people like to be humbugged. They do not see what they see. They do not reason and prefer to believe the mysterious rather than the explainable. The second experience. There was a radionic machine manufactured and sold in Omaha. Manufacturer invited us over to see it demonstrated with the hope we would be convinced and sell them with our endorsement to the profession, for which we would get a fat commission on every one sold. Our endorsement was needed to make it succeed. We said we would come if Dr. Frank W. Elliott, our business manager then, and Dasa Evans, an electrical engineer, could come with us. This manufacturer refused to grant. He wanted us to come alone. We think he thought he could pull wool over eyes of one person better than if there were three. We refused to come unless others could come also. After much correspondence, because he did want our endorsement, he agreed to let three of us come. We arrived in Omaha on morning train. He met us with a car. We were wheeled around town, seeing post office, city hall, parks, zoo, etc. Until noon, when he took us to a private club for lunch. His reason for stalling was that he was setting up his instrument in a room in the hotel, and it wouldn't be ready for demonstration until afternoon. About 1 p.m., we went to hotel. He conducted experiments and tests, securing positive and negative reports, until close to 6 in the evening. He tested patient after patient. We looked and listened. About 4 o'clock, Dasa Evans walked in behind the desk console 
of his, of his instrument and accidentally kicked loose electric plug that went from wall socket to desk, disconnecting all contact. The doctor went on making tests the same, without current to operate the machine, same as he did when it was connected, he not knowing it was disconnected. He kept getting positive and negative results the same as before. About six o'clock, we called to his attention that he had been working for two hours without any current. This did not phase him one bit. He admitted it. He admitted it would work as well without as with. The difference in his technique from that of the Davenport MD was that instead of using three connected fingers of one hand and tapping with and tapping them with a thimble finger of other hand, seeking dead and live lines, this man had a glass tube connected with a thermal unit inside tube before running this up and down abdomen at different places with same objective as the Davenport MD. He would rub it with a silk handkerchief several times. He sprinkled talcum powder on abdomen, rubbing glass tube on skin. There would be a certain spot where it would seemingly stick to skin. This was spot where he would stop and proceed to diagnose case. The trick here was that rubbing silk on a warm glass tube created static electricity in tube. At some time, this would be discharged on skin of patient. That was his cue for diagnosis. Peculiarly, his glass tube stuck as well or as badly whether electricity was on in desk console or whether electricity was off in desk console. That made no difference. We then tested glass tube and found we could create friction, static electricity, in glass tube, whether warm or cold, with or without electricity being on. We also secured same results whether there was or was not talcum powder on abdomen. We left this man a very dejected individual. He had anticipated a great buildup and that we would be overwhelmed with the mysterious value of a new law which nobody understood or could explain. This man had been selling machines to our profession. He hoped he could sell more with our support. He hoped that glittering money he held before our eyes would sway our judgment. As expected, each DC who bought this instrument went into raptures over results. They would rant and rave about how they were getting results greater. Uh, getting results greater. <laughs> they would rant and rave about how they were getting greater results now than ever before. The machine was nothing short of marvelous, stupendous, colossal, gigantic. Peculiarly, the field of diagnosis with these instruments was confined. It was either syphilis, tuberculosis, or cancer. Three most terrifying diseases in the mind of patients. Fear was a dominant keynote in salesmanship. This convinced them they had something which nobody else had found. It compelled patients to stay with the chiropractor for a long, 
long time to take treatments before the machine said they were well of these horrible conditions. With each of these radionics machines, there were two divisions, diagnosis as well as treatment. The diagnosis was indicative of a lowered energy value. Treatment consisted of injecting absent quantity of external energy by way of a device clamped to body of patient for a period of one half to one hour daily. Chiropractors who purchased and used these instruments were shoveling in money. People came from far and wide to have this marvelous machine tell them what they had. They stayed for months taking daily treatments. One machine had many attachments and dozens could be treated at same time from same machine. Patient felt nothing, but nonetheless did it work. This meant thousands of dollars income each month that would not otherwise have come to this chiropractor. If instrument had merit, then it had lasting, permanent value in getting sick people well. If it was a hoax and delusion, in time it would be so proved and defeat its end by destroying chiropractor's practice. His confidence in himself, questioning of his own judgment, value of confidence of his clientele in him, etc. That was exactly the way it worked, but it took several years to reach that conclusion. Today, 1951, this manufacturer is out of business, which died because of lack of merit in his instrument or procedure. At the time, no matter where we he, at the time, no matter what we here said, we were prejudiced, fighting to sell NCMs by preference, objecting to any other instrument when we had one of our own to sell. We didn't know right from wrong, etc. Time tells its story, as it always does. Today, 1951, we are still here. The PSC is still teaching chiropractic. The NCM is still delivering its objective. And chiropractic continues to correct vertebral subluxations, getting sick people well. Before reciting next experience, there is another historical angle which should be explained. In early days of ERA, medical profession took it up, went hog wild over it. In time, it died with them for want of having practical scientific fact to support it. Next, osteopathic profession took it up. McAnnis Company, Kirksville, Missouri, sold them by hundreds to progressive members of that profession. They too went hog wild over it, became enthusiastic over its use. In time, it died with them for want of having practical scientific fact to support it. Next, chiropractic profession, not having learned any lesson from experience of medicine and osteopathy, took it up, went hog wild over its diagnostic value and treatment accomplishments. Now, in 1951, it is in use in only a few offices of practitioners who think more of money than they do of getting sick well. Talk to those who still use it 
And the only argument they offer for its use is that it brings in money faster and in greater quantities than anything else this practitioner can use on his patients. They admit frankly, it does not diagnose correctly, nor does it get sick people well. But it is mysterious. People like to have gadgets worked on them, like to think they are having much done for their money, etc. Another chiropractor in Minneapolis, very sincere and honest in his desire to add to his armamentarium to get sick people well, purchased and used for some months a radionics instrument for diagnosis as well as treatment. He became very much enthused. In fact, went nuts over it. The longer he used it, more enthusiastic he became. So much so that he asked that we come and investigate most marvelous work he was now doing, better than ever before, etc. Having investigated the principle and practice in application, it was not necessary to test or try out each new form of gadget that was manufactured and sold to our people. We did not go to Minneapolis. Being sincere, he invited the president of another chiropractic college. Being importuned time after time, more to get rid of correspondence than anything else, this president went to Minneapolis. He spent all day watching tests and going over records. At the end of the day, this president asked this DC, if it told him where to adjust the subluxation. The answer was no. All it did was diagnose correctly and give proper treatment to supply external energy internally. Then, said the president, I am not interested if it has no chiropractic application. Within 30 days from time this president returned to his college, their, their school house organ, announced the sale of the same instrument through its pages. A picture of it was in the publication. Through roundabout means, we purchased two of this same machine. One we kept intact, as received from factory. The other we turned over, as received, to five electrical engineers of known reputation, asked them to open it up and draw a diagram of what they found inside the instrument. They did. The box weighed 22 pounds. They took out 14 pounds of pitch that had been poured in over the internal mechanism. Later, it was obvious why they poured in pitch. Upon investigation, open wires attached nowhere. Open circuits with no connections were found. It was easily proven, authenticated, and sworn to that this machine could not it was easily proven, authenticated, and sworn to that this machine could do nothing attributed to it. We published this report and affidavit, sworn to by five engineers, photos of box before and after, outside and inside, and published them in the PSC Fountainhead News. Within 30 days after the expose, this other college quit selling them. We cannot understand why any person would want to purchase without knowing, use without proving, commend without establishing any fact in connection with it. How the chiropractor in Minneapolis could say it did things when it couldn't. 
how he could become enraptured with its possibilities when it possessed none. How this other school, having condemned it as of no chiropractic value, began selling it to chiropractors through a chiropractic house organ coming from a chiropractic school. The logical and reasonable thing to do would have been to go into the box, see the guts of the workings, and know before making a purchase or offering it for sale. Why are chiropractors gullible? This chiropractor in Minneapolis later quit using the instrument, sold it to some other chiropractor who was as gullible as he was who first bought it. Why foist it off on somebody else when he was convinced it had no value? Thank you for joining me for another episode. I'm Dr. Arthur Plessa. This has been The Green Book Commentaries.